something related to time. How do we deal with time? How do we deal with objective time, which is the clock, you know, and subjective time, the way we feel. So it became a subject for me, and I did it in Cleo. I'm so happy that this is a film of 1961, and you speak about it wherever I go in the world, in Brazil, in South Korea. They speak about the film. They think it made sense. Are we afraid of death? So that's my success in a way. I never made money, but some of my films are not forgotten. Our guest on The Big Interview this week is the French film director Agnès Varda, one of the key figures of the 1960s new wave with Jean-Luc Godard, Chris Marker, Alan René and her husband Jacques Demy. Varda started as a photographer and took her craft into moving pictures when she had different stories to tell. But really, it's how differently Varda tells her stories. Cleo from 5 to 7 is shot in real time. Vagabond follows an outsider trying to survive any which way she can. Her latest film, Faces Places, a collaboration with the French photographer JR, again celebrates the ordinary, the local, society's unsung. It's a beautiful, charming documentary that brims with Varda's steely intelligence and impish humour, undulled despite all of her 90 years. Agnès, thank you very much for your time today. Bonjour, Robert. Bonjour. And I wanted to start by asking you about making images, making images all the time. You're over in London right now from Paris, that's where we're speaking, and walking down the street, getting a taxi from one hotel to the next event, you must be making images all the time. Are you still are you taking pictures? Are you making images in your head? Are you wishing you could film it? Just making images, is it like an addiction for you? How does it start? Images and sound. We are surrounded by sound. We were in a restaurant last night, such a noise, and then we listen to people and they say something interesting. I'm curious about images and sound. I'm not making images all the time. But I feel that there is such a richness that you've always, you've profited from and prospered with. And I wonder whether that's always, it's something that you can switch on and off. I'm not obliged. I don't have a white paper saying, what should I invent or what should I write? I don't write. I don't prepare anything. But sometimes in the reality, what I see, something comes out so strongly that I have to do it. I remember I was not shooting for two or three years for different reasons. And I was in a cafe in Paris at 2 p.m. And it was the end of one of these markets that they come from the, the villages and they, they have the open market. You have that here too. And so it was the end of the market. The people of the city with the plastic green broom were waiting to clean. And the sales people were putting the boxes back in the truck and then I saw people coming picking what was left bending picking some of them even eating directly what they found on the floor it was so strong impression a phrase came in my mind these people will eat what we throw away and it became so strong that I said I have to make something about that and I started the documentary called the gleaners G comme glanage Glané, c'est ramasser après la moisson. Glaneur, glaneuse, celui ou celle qui glane. Glané is to pick things that other people have thrown away. This is not going in the country picking flowers or something. It's the act after the harvest. But I was impressed because all these bending people in the city, I said, well, what can be gleaned in the country? I start to investigate. And before doing a documentary, you document yourself, and by telephone I called some co some cities, 
And I said, well, that's a subject. We have to do it. And it came by chance. It was just the beginning of the 21st century and have the little cameras with which you could, I could film alone. Mm. Because sometimes people are in difficult situation. You don't want to come with four people, you know. It is true that I felt always something strange about documentary because they are sleeping on the floor, they have no water, and then I go home, I take a shower, I go in my bed. So we know that it's unfair, but it's my job to film. So I have to to accept that some people have such difficult life, and I want to share that to make it understand to audiences. And the subject about gleaning became a second subject, which is recycling. And that is in 2000. It became very important. 18 years later, it's obvious, the recycling, the thing about the garbage, but it was not yet there. And was this, this was the act of stooping to pick up rubbish. One man's muck is another man's brass. You were, I believe, interested in, in the idea of stooping, the idea that of the bending back is something that we see in the famous Le Glaneur painting. It's the act of doing something. The famous painting of Millet yeah. called Les Glaneurs. Yeah. But it's a gesture of humility. Mm. The thing that you have to bend, it's a gesture of the servant. It's a gesture of the prisoners, you know. So yeah. it's obvious that when you see all these people bending to get a, an apple, some eggs half broken, I was impressed when I started to, to make it as a subject, a society subject, because the waste became obvious. But more and more since 2000, people get aware now about that. And young people mostly, mm-hmm. they are more related to the ecology, all these things. So I was impressed because the Gleaner and I, my film, became like a tool for meetings, for discussion about what can we do about the waste and can we, how can we recycle something? What is the relationship we could have, we can have, we should have with the people in that condition? So I was so impressed because when you do a documentary, as I said, and then you go home in your bed, two years later, I did another film called Two Years Later, and I tried to see them again, find them again, because it's unfair, you know. I was going in festival with the cleaners, and I said, bravo, bravo. I said, well, you applaud the people that I filmed, and they're not here together. Mm-hmm. So I went back to film them. Some had disappeared, some were sick, because it's, I'm raising the problem of all the documentaries about people in bad situation. Because the filmmaker gets the credit, you know. What happens to the people that you film in your documentaries or that you take photographs of in this new film and throughout your career, does starring in a documentary or being featured in a documentary, does it change the person? Do people feel ennobled by the camera, I wonder? Or what do you give them the opportunity to be, I wonder? We are surrounded by huge images of famous people, Mm. famous actors, famous political people and Famous models, they sell cosmetics, they sell car, and all. The world is bombing us with images of people that I don't respect, I don't like, but they're, they're imposed to me, right? Especially this beautiful model, half naked, they sell something. I think it's nice to say to people, you are known, you are in your village, do you agree to come in the magical truck? Yes. And get a poster of yourself uh-huh. and mix it with other people's poster? 
It's like a game, but it's a game that respects them, put them in light. And some were sort of shy, but others like it. They, they like to be seen as an important person because they are as good as the model. Tu sais, c'est avec ce camion que je pars partout dans le monde. T'es partante Je suis toujours partante si on va vers des paysages simples, vers des villages, vers des visages. Les gens y entrent à l'arrière, comme dans un photomaton, et la photo sort dans les 5 secondes sur le côté, en grand format. Un facteur, c'est important dans le village. So it's interesting because I believe that it's a game, but it's a game that people, especially when you do poster, and even in a village, we ask them to cut the faces mm -hmm. and to invent fake families. I mean, it's, it's a game, but it's a game that makes sense because it's, it's a way of, as you said yourself, putting in light people are not used to, mm. but are not considered as important. And there, you can just speak with one. Remember, we spoke with one paysan, a cultivateur. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was young, the harvest was a big feast because they would all eat together at the end of the harvest. Now this is the guy, you saw the film, he's alone, he has a tractor, he can put machine in his back to cut, to cut, to do, to pursue everything. 800 hectares. Yeah. It's huge, it's a country, uh -huh. and he does it alone. So we spend the time to speak with him, trying to understand how do you feel about his loneliness, And then we say we make a big image of you. I made an image of him in front of his barn. So he became a sort of hero of being a peasant. It's like saying, okay, you are the star, but you are the light of this yeah. village, you know. So it's touching the system of, of society. And you do that. And I wanted to ask you about... All your life, you've been interested maybe in the difference between fact and fiction. Your films, your fictional films, celebrate ordinary ordinary people, we might say, not stars. And your documentaries kind of do the same, or they make, they shine a light on the ordinary. It seems like you celebrate the heroism of ordinariness or something. It's not heroism? What do you what do you think about it? What draws you to, to what we might call ordinary trades or farmers? It's just putting some bridges between people. Okay. We, you know, cinema, art cannot change life, but it can change vaguely the point of view. By proposing points of view, mm -hmm. which are mine, I made a film, I remember a short film, Rue Mouffetard in Paris. At the time, it was only bum, poor people. And I made a beautiful documentary, filmed them, you know, and... At the time, Georges Delorue made the music. Mm -hmm. And it's a 20-minute film about people you don't think they exist, you know. They, they look like odd, they are drunk, some are sick, some are blind. And that population exists. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant at the time. And I had a feeling very strong that I was trying to give life to somebody that was a hoped has a good or she would have a good life. And I was surrounded by people that life is so bad, so difficult. So I had one thought in my mind, is that all these people, they have been babies. And at one point, they have been taken care, they have been kissed. You just have a little imagination. And when you see a bum, well, he has been a baby. Yeah. And at some point, he has been vaguely loved, taken care of, given food. And how life destroyed them little by little. 
You talked about building bridges. I was going to ask you a little bit about labels, about Nouvelle Vague, about La Rive Gauche, about the, the movements that you were part of. You were, uh, the people in cinema like to use these labels. I'm sure they want to put one around your neck, Agnès. But it seems like you're not interested in this. Even when I talk about heroism, you, you don't like that word. I've been called the grandmother of the new wave. Indeed. And I say, no, I'm so old. That was I, say, a bit unfair. I am the dinosaur now <laughs> of the new wave, you know, maybe. Because only Godard and me yes. are not dead. Yeah. Among the group that has been called Nouvelle Vague. But that was a movement that, that had a strong political and intellectual and creative kind of framework about it. It's not a movement that uh, okay. there was a group of the Cahiers du Cinema. Uh-huh. They were film critics. Yes. And they loved American films, they loved everything, and th- they became filmmakers. But there were different people. I was on my side. Alain René was different. Mm-hmm. Chris Marquet was different. Jacques Demy was different. I never wrote critics. Oh. No, I didn't go to the Cahiers du Cinéma. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go in the cafe and discuss cinema with them at all. We were, no, Jacques, Jacques Demy and me, we lived together and we were very friendly with Godard and Anna Karina uh-huh. at that time. We would spend holidays together. And Jean-Luc was an incredible inventive man and strange sometimes. Mm. I liked him very much. So it's interesting that 10 years later, somebody called that La Nouvelle Vague. So they put us all together. They say, you are a woman in the Nouvelle Vague. Okay, yes. Actually, I didn't want to instill myself as a woman among men filmmakers, but as a radical filmmaker, also being a woman. Very different. Does being a woman make any difference? It, it, no. I, I, I wonder if it, I'd suggest it makes a difference to how you look at things. Do difference of what? Do you think it makes a difference to what you point your camera at and for how long, I wonder? I don't know I the took, answer. I took pictures, photo, and I filmed, and I, at the beginning I was filming myself because we have 35mm camera. Uh-huh. I wouldn't touch it, you know. I, I would make the frame, always choose the frame, discuss with the DP and say, that's the frame I wish, etc. Mm-hmm. But I was not acting myself. But that's the point of view you have. It becomes your style in a way. Yes. By creating my first film was such a radical film with not narrative at all, not chronological, very, in a way, shocking the way of showing cinema. So I instilled myself as new cinema. And then I was captured again by the new wave, because seven years later, because a producer called Monsieur de Bourgard, mm-hmm. he had asked Jacques Demy, Jacques Demy met Lola, and he said, would you like to join the club, in a way? I say, and now I wrote a beautiful story happening between Venice and Set Colored. And at some point, he was about to produce it with Carlo Ponti. I said, no, too expensive, you have to do something cheaper. That's how I wrote Cleo from 5 to 7. Yes. C'est donc si grave. J'ai vu le cancer. Elle est perdue. Si c'est ça, je me tuerai. Encore un truc pour qu'on te dise qu'on t'aime. C'est elle. C'est vous, mademoiselle. Moi, Then I work with the time. I say I have to do something related to time. How do we deal with time? How do we deal with objective time, which is the clock, you know, and subjective time, the way we feel. So. It became a subject for me, and I did it in Cleo. I'm so happy that this is a film of 1961, and you speak about it wherever I go in the world, in Brazil, in South Korea, 
They know the film. Yeah. They speak about the film. They think it made sense. It made something related to not only beauty and death, which is the subject, you know, are we afraid of death even more than when it's a beautiful woman? It's the way we feel. It is not reasonable. But the death of a child is as important, but we have that image. The painters have so much done beauty and the death. You know, it's a theme in itself. Yeah. So I did it my way very strongly, and I'm so glad that it's not forgotten. So that's my success in a way. I never made money, but some of my films are not forgotten. Well, you've, you made people right back then with that film feel something. that It was the th- same thing that you felt, and it, it came through the screen you know, in a very pure way. Is that the case when you know you've got something that is an image, like we talked about Les Glaneurs, the people picking things from the pavement and the fields at the beginning of the interview, when you have a very strong image and a very strong idea to make something and you feel like it's a, an image that will burn itself into people's eyes, and it, it, do, you know, do you always know when it's going to be something that will resound with, with people that go to the cinema? The subject in a way come to me the same way because Jacques Demy was dead, and he was writing the memory of his childhood. I said, well, you want to make a film? He said, no, I'm too weak, but do it yourself. So I made a film about Jacques Demy's childhood. Yeah. He had written some notes. He didn't write psychology, he didn't write dialogue. So he allowed me to invent his childhood. And he said it was okay. He said always, yes, that's the way it was. Ah. And so I felt good that doing something which is so rare, being in the memory of somebody else. And the film, I did it while he was sick. And then I did the film telling like a black and white story of the 40s, but also adding some clips of his film because... I knew that he had been inspired by his childhood. So I was showing the birth of his inspiration, like if I were a student, you know, trying to study his uh-huh. work. In the same time, I was very near him, I did close up. So it's a film that makes sense for me, but I'm so glad that people saw it. I know it has been loved. It is even showed in France in the classes, you know. It's, it's the, studied, yeah. Yeah, the Ministère de l'Education yeah. put the film, it is shown to children. And they discovered that during the war there were no tools, but they can invent. A lot of children, if they have seen the film, they built something with potatoes. With, you know, it's like giving the idea that you can invent something, you can have a vocation in a way. So I have the feeling my films are not useless. They are what they are, but they can suggest something. They can help people to be aware of what can be what cannot be, mm-hmm. how was the life. So I do my best each time to to have a film that makes sense for me. And I wonder if, if your instinct is the same now than it was in the 1960s, Agnes, that it's the same bit of your brain going, this is a great image, this is a great subject. It's the same bit of your brain that works in that way, that kind of you click your fingers and, and that's when you switch the camera on and that's when you turn the sound on. It's what happens that helps it. The same way in my visual art mm-hmm. that I yeah. do since now, 15 years, sometimes the subject comes itself. You know, I remember Jacques Demy and me, we were going a lot in the island of Noirmoutier. Mm-hmm. I was there with him a lot, and then he died. 
Then I was there alone, as a widow. And I noticed, obviously, when you have some, if you have a new ring, you look at people's hands mm-hmm. to see if they have a ring. Yes. And then I noticed that there were many widows in that island because fishermen died or sailors or widows. So I, naturally, I have to do something with these widows. And I start, started to interview them one afternoon with my little camera. And then I built a setup. Beautiful, I don't know if you see it. It's like a polyptych. Yes. It's like a middle screen, a big 35 images, women on the beach, and then 14 little images of video, and you have to take an earphone to listen to them, to one of them. So what I'm trying to investigate now is that can we change the relationship with the viewer, which is different than being 200 people in a room that see one flat film, which I love to do. But when you ask them to be just 14 people with earphones listening to one window, but being with other people listening to another window, then waiting for the chair to be free and get the earphone. So you have 14 people listening and maybe 20 waiting for the chairs, which is not success in terms of box office. There's a different sense of expectation about doing that. It's another, it's finding new bridges to touch people, new approaches of what can be shared, what can be discovered. And by my own feelings, that made me listen at, with care and mm-hmm. empathy to these widows. And they all say, more or less say the same thing. But I remember a man who said, I saw that thing, and I remember that I didn't care enough about my mother when she was widow. I didn't think she was feeling so much, which is strange to say, but it is true. The widows are always, you know, we have to give them a visit. Let's bring the children once a month and all that. So they're boring in a way. The subject widows is boring. Well, but no, but you've, it's this, this way that you presented it in a non-cinematic way, in a, in, a, in a visual art. It obviously has different parameters, maybe different rules, or you're breaking those rules. And this, this is a very intimate way of, of doing things. The cinema can be intimate, but this, the, this different way of presenting a story, of presenting the truth, of presenting someone's it's, memory is very intimate. It's not way, it's the setup. What I, en français, le dispositif. It's something that you have to invent to create new links between the people who, lo- who look at the piece or the film and me. Not that I'm so important. It's that I suggest something which is sent to them as signal, yeah. and they get it or not. And as I said, the widows of Mamouti made me feel very good that I've brought something. But what that tells, a lot of people have interpreted that as being a way of you having a certain way of looking at your work, which is very unsentimental, although you draw great emotion out of people. Which you- means I'm still a filmmaker, but I open my own field of working. And by becoming a visual artist, I create something that makes me feel that I work, you know, I work to impress poor. This is not to be famous, this is to be doing what artists have to do, send signals and like threads that maybe you got, you can get. maybe you don't. I mean, it's just, we have to be modest because what is the audience of the widows of Noamuche? Maybe almost yeah. nothing, but it's just opening the possibility of reaching people. I have one more question for you, Agnes, and it's it's what we started talking about before we switched on the microphones this morning, and it's about how you look. 
I wanted to ask you about your visual identity because you're in a lot of your own films and you have a very good look, what we could say in English. You're dressed today in a purple ensemble and your hair looks absolutely amazing. I said it looks a, bit, a little bit like Mount Fuji. I know that you don't want to be famous in inverted commas, but you, you have a way of interacting with your subjects in your film and in your new film. When did you arrive at that? At the beginning, I would hide. At the beginning, my shorts, the producer would say, let hire an actor to read your narration. Then I thought, I'm speaking to you, it's my voice. Why should I ask somebody else to say my narration? So I started to do the narration myself. Not being seen, but spoken. But then I entered in a film one day. Yes, I thought I'm doing that work, which is a sociologic word in a way. But I exist, I'm here. And then one day I had my little camera like this. I was try, trying the, to shape the frame. But I understood that I could have the camera, my hand on focus, and the view. So I started to, to play, and it's a game. And I kept it in the film, which is in a way ridiculous because it has nothing to do with the gleaners. And I thought, but I'm alive while I do the work. Why should I not keep something related to my pleasure to be a filmmaker? So I was shy and never showed up. But when you become old, you are less shy because I don't want to please. I mean, the, there is no seduction in, at stake. People like me or not, but... So, first time, when I did my first appearance in the Biennale d'Art, 2003, it was a piece called Patat Utopia. And I wanted the people to come, and it was unknown. Potato heaven. So I did a costume yes. of potato. And I went around, I would walk around the Biennale. People say, what is this? What is the potato? <laughs> and I was saying, there is a show. Please come to see Patat Utopia, you know. Mm. It was my advertising myself with a costume de patate. So it's a joke about the way you look. The same thing, my hair with two colors, it's a joke. It's because I don't want to be boring. I don't want to be the old lady complaining all the time. I mean, many women speak about their health and complaining. They didn't come to see me, etc. So I'm so privileged because I'm surrounded with people. Wonderful. My daughter is producing me and helping me, yes. Rosalie. Rosalie. But I have two wonderful assistants. I have two children. They love me. They are nice to me. Seven grandchildren. But some of them big enough. Sometimes they come to help. It's just, it's a dream to be old with a bad health. But my mind is okay. And the way I'm surrounded makes me feel good. Power to you, Agnes Vada. Thank well, you very much for your time. My thanks to Agnes Varda. Make sure to watch her latest film, Faces Places, and her entire body of work, Vagabond, La Pointe Courte, etc., are, of course, on DVD and streaming services. The Big Interview is produced by Yuline Goffin and edited by Cassie Galpin and Sarah Miles. I've been Robert Bounds, and thank you very much for tuning in.